Verse 11. Go ahead and take your chairs, please. You have Psalm 51, verse 11. And it reads there, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Father, we thank you, love you, give you all the honor, all the glory. I ask God that you would open up the mind of the hearer to receive what you, by the Spirit, have to say to us, God. That we put, put aside all of our pre-thought-out ideas, our misconceptions, our prejudices, and that we would open up our heart to hear what you have and receive. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break open the fellow ground, begin even now those who have turned their life to you, begin revealing new truths that are just ancient realities. Begin to show those who are prepared and ready for the next level and take them there. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, the last three messages I've spoke, um, I've been talking about the Holy Spirit, the power, how he works. And last week I, talk, I, I talked about how he teaches, how he was teaching the disciples. And in the same respect, he, he wants to teach us in the same way. Precept upon precept, brick upon brick, scaffolding. And he scaffolds his teachings brick upon brick because he understands, because he created the human mind, how the human mind works. And every principle has to be built upon. Most people move too quickly because they don't understand the first principle well enough. And they just keep adding stuff on top of it. And that's what James says, look, uh, don't be like those people who look in the mirror. And when they walk away, they forget how they look. Don't just hear the word, but do it. And so principles that become a part of you, they become a part of you by action. They don't become a part of you by uh, academic experience, something from head. No, it has to be something that, that is driven down and in. So, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and to many Christians, the Holy Spirit is a, is a mystery. You know, I call him the hidden member of the Trinity because... We're always wearing Jesus t-shirts, you know. What would Jesus do? And I don't like that t-shirt. I don't even like that saying. Because we know what he would do. But he said, I'm going to die so that when I go to heaven, I'm going to die and go to heaven. So when I leave, you do it. I really don't, I'm not, I know what Jesus do. I'm, I'm more concerned, what are you going to do? And so people walk around like, a, like if they're Christians and they wear WWJD. Doesn't impress me. We have to be doers of the word. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who penetrates your heart and says, okay, do this. You hear what he's saying? Listen. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is here because Jesus says, well, I got to go. Come, sit in another one. So the Father we know, the Son we know, but what about the Holy Spirit? And again, I've laid some groundwork 
few understand who he is, why he came, and what he does in the world today. And I think fewer appreciate completely the vital role he plays in the Christian's life, in their walk. You know, when you talk about the ghost, spirit, woo, spooky, right? And it's not, not that. A proper knowledge of the, of the Holy Spirit's ministry is absolutely essential. I don't think you could be a Christian if you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. No. So to find peace, joy, and victory as a Christian, it is the Holy Spirit that leads you. In fact, the Bible says that he will lead you to all truth. And too many live far below their potential. Let me say it again. Too many live far below their potential because they never discovered the Holy Spirit. They never had a, a conversation, a, a communion, an experience with the Holy Spirit. So there's really, I think, you know, there's probably more, but I try to distill us down to certain areas where I see uh, a lacking. And, and first of all, you, especially in the United States, not in times past, but now, people don't understand his power. Because in most churches, the power of God is no longer there. The, the, the knowledge of God, the, the, um, maybe the reverence of God is there, is there, but the power is no longer discussed or not, no longer evidenced as it should be. Now, I thank God that we see on a daily basis in Victor Outreach deliverances, people that were violent who are no longer violent, and not change over a long period of time and visiting a psychiatrist. No, instant changes, right? Power, where people are healed, made whole. Power. I was talking to the guys, and I'll share this briefly, a um, couple of guys yesterday. And we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And the one who really focused me on that is when I first came in with, with, with Nikki. He would always talk about that. Well, years ago, he called me, and he said, Albert, you need to pray. I go, what's wrong, Nikki? Um, they did an x-ray of my heart, and the bottom three inches, or remember, some prime I remember, and Jose, is dead. I go, what do you mean it's dead? He goes, well, I got to go to the doctor, and the bottom half, the bottom half, but the bottom tip of my heart, there's no life there. I go, wow, that's heavy. I didn't know you could live like that. I, I guess you could. And I go, well, that's heavy. So we begin to pray. A week later, he calls me up. It was cool. He goes, Albert. And this is all he said. It's alive. <laughs> I go, what's alive? You need to come over here. I said, okay. So I take off to his house. And I go down to his house. And he has two x-rays from the doctor. One x-ray where he showed the heart with the bottom half. was, You know, when you see an x-ray, it's just black, like a black blob. No, nothing in it. The rest of the heart has veins and everything, but the bottom, bottom tip, no veins, nothing. Then the other, the new x-ray, he just got it. And he, the same x-ray, and all and the heart was alive. Yes. See, the power of God. See, that power to bring back Nikki's heart to life is not just for Nikki Cruz. What Christians don't understand, and the reason they don't understand, because it does take some human effort to get there. 
There has to be some sacrifice in your life to experience it. There has to be some storms in your life that you have to overcome to be able to, to, to partner with it. But the power is available. Oh, God bless all two of you. The power is available. Most Christians are ignorant of his power. Not only of his power, but of his indwelling. Because everybody says, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And you know what I say? Liar. But not everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, no. That, that is not true. King David, in the opening scripture, he, he very clearly says, Cast me not away, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Interesting statement. So the implication there is that God can cast a person away from his presence and take the Holy Spirit. Very clear. So people don't understand his indwelling. They, they don't understand his anointing and what the anointing means and how you should operate in it and how you should respect it, revere it, and treasure it if you've ever experienced it. They don't understand his ability to intercede. And, and lastly, they may, they actually kind of think they understand his gifts. They oftentimes when you experience a gift from the Holy Spirit, it's a gift, mind you. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a, a unique experience. It is so unique that the flesh of mankind loves it. Like that was heavy. And then because it was so good, we want to conjure it up to make it happen again. When it's, it's not based on you conjuring, it's based on God needing something to happen. So the key is, if you want your gift to be in operation, whatever it is, you need to put yourself in the position where your gift is needed. Now, when your gift is needed, guess what? God moves. But you think God's going to give you a gift so you can sit down and watch TV? It doesn't operate that way. Huh? But alas... See, living without the Holy Spirit is like driving a car on an empty tank of gas. I don't care how nice your car is. If you have a Lexus and you're on the freeway and you got no gas, guess what? You ain't going nowhere. Well, you look good on the side of the road, <laughs> but you ain't going anywhere. See, and, and that's what it is. Walking with God and not being filled with the Holy Spirit is just like that. Oh, you might look good, but you ain't going nowhere. You ain't doing anything. See, we don't understand all the secrets of the internal combustion of a car, do we? Anybody? If you're a mechanic, be quiet. But the rest of us, we don't know. We don't care. I don't care about cars. In fact, the only thing I want my car to do is start when I put my key in it. Boom. If it doesn't do that, I don't care. I just throw it away. That's all I want my car to do. I don't want to know about the piston, the spark plug, the rotor, uh, the, 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 the fuel inject. I could care less. Just drive. Amen? And see, we have to understand. Let me get, let me get here. I get, get back on notes. I'm getting carried away here. We know this. So let me get up with my car thing. That without gas, the car isn't going anywhere. Right? And God doesn't demand, God doesn't demand that we are able to explain his intricacies like a car. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to, to understand that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, doctrine, listen, let me tell you something, is overrated. 
Why do I say that? Do- doctrine is overrated because there was just some other guy before us or gal before us who sat down and read the Bible and decided to write it down. And so because they sat, decided to write it down, all of a sudden it became a doctrine. What's better than a doctrine is not reading about somebody else's ideal, but it's about what we should do is getting to know the author. Okay, let me see. God bless Jasmine. Who's the author? Getting to know the author. And so when God says, okay, if you want to get to know me, if I want to get to know God, no matter how we try, unless you die, does anybody want to die right now? Then you're never going to get to know God. Because he's in heaven. Unless so, you can't get to know God. But if you want to get to know God without going to heaven, see, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. So, but if you want to get to know God without going to heaven, there's only one way. You have to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says he will tell you everything the Father says he will let you know. Everything. Not some things, but everything. Now, if I, I just made a, a big statement. But if, I, if you really ask people, how often have you really sat down and said, okay, Holy Spirit, what are we doing here? What are we doing today? We, always, we, we get caught up in like Christianity. We say, oh, Jesus. Oh, God, very seldom you when you're in trouble, you go, oh, Holy Spirit. Right? Why? And why? Because the, the world has trained us to not focus on him. And he's the very one that we must focus on. What would you have me do? Lead me, Holy Spirit. Teach me. Right? So we have to have a knowledge of him, of his essentials and his power, how it works in our lives. There are 87 names given to the Holy Spirit. And what these names do, they reveal a lot of information about who he is. Information. And that's cool. We need to know this information. 87. Did you know that there are 87 different names of the Holy Spirit? As you read scripture, right? So I want us to learn about the work of the Holy Spirit. How he moves in our lives, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. See, the Old Testament says much about the ministry of the Spirit. He comes as a fire. He comes as a cloud. Huh? He he split the Red Sea. Right? How how does that happen? Or do we believe it? Or is that just a fable? Like I said, he made a fish to swallow up a man. Is that possible? Is it possible for a fish to swallow up a man and for the man to be spit on a beach and to live? So when we think about that in practical terms, we say, no way. That's why we're not talking practical here. We're talking spiritual. But I've been in the ocean, and I've seen some big fish. And I'll tell you what. A few of you, he may not be able to get you in. But the most of us, he'll get us in there. Amen? <laughs> There's some big fish out there. So I thank the Lord for sending his spirit into this world to draw me to the Savior. You didn't come because of the commercial that talked about Jesus. You didn't come for whatever reason. The Bible says it is the Holy Spirit's job to draw you to accept Christ as Savior. So without the Holy Spirit, my friend, none of you are saved. That's how important he is. Amen? See, the Spirit 
He, he hovered above the water, the Bible says. Genesis 1, let's go there, verse 2. Um, I won't keep you here too long. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God created. With these five majestic words, the Bible declares that God himself stands alone before the creation of universe. So how does he create the world? What is his first step? Hmm? Genesis 1, 4, 2 informs us that the Holy Spirit was hovering. I like that word, hovering above the water. The word hovering suggests a bird hovering above her nest. You ever see a hummingbird? Don't you I love those things? Hummingbirds, they just hover. And I can see God hovering above the void, just hovering. Now, it wasn't God the Father. It was God the Holy Spirit hovering. Hovering, right? So although much is shrouded in mystery, we may be sure of this. God's Spirit was there in the beginning. The Holy Spirit took the formless mass, moved through darkness, filled the emptiness, and prepared the way for us all. Hmm? God sets things in order before he speaks. He knows how he wants it. He, he imagines it in his mind, and then he speaks. He spoke the creative word. And brought light to the world. Let there be light. Ooh, man. That's heavy stuff right there. Let there be light. What does that mean, light? Light, we're not talking about a light bulb. And we're not even talking about a moon or sun. Let there be light. What is he saying there? The word is a very an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means let there be understanding. There was a void. There was an emptiness. Everything was darkness. Darkness, in, in conversely, means let there be ignorance. Ignorance. So there's a void. It could be any kind of void. It could be the void of creation. It could be the void of life. It could be your ignorance of not knowing who God is. It could be your ignorance of following a, a, a false way of life. It could be anything. But it's none, nonetheless, it's a void. And it's not until light is brought into a void where things begin to happen. God said, let there be light. It's like when you talk to somebody on the streets and you go treasure hunting, you say, let there be light. You are bringing light into a void of a lost person. And so you step into the role of the Holy Spirit by speaking truth. Why? Now there's understanding. God, the Holy Spirit hovered and said, let there be light. Where did the void come from? A lot of theories, a lot of doctrines really don't matter. Does it? Some, I know professors, because you know, I'm, I'm in college. Uh, I've got two masters and doctorate and all that good stuff. Who cares? And they, they get off on that kind of stuff. Ooh, let's talk about the void. Shut up. I don't want to talk about the void. Huh? You know what I want to talk about? Let's, let's talk about me and you getting in our giddy-up, going out there and talking to somebody who's lost. Let's talk about, let's go talk to the void, not talk about a void. Big difference. So we're called to talk to the void. And so that's what God is. He, he is, he brings understanding to ignorance. God sets things in order. Without the spirit, nothing that is made will come into being. Without the spirit, without the spirit. So, we talk to the guys at home, girls at home, guys in church. You don't understand what's going on. Without the Spirit in your life, nothing will be changed. Nothing. So God's Holy Spirit hovers over the darkness today. 
Though we may not see him or feel him or reach out and touch him, he still moves through the emptiness of life. I would say this. Without emptiness and void, there's no need for the Holy Spirit. See, God, see, people have it all mixed up. They think God died and everything so that you can have a good life. You think that's why God died? No, the good life is an after effect of receiving light. People think the result of receiving light is a good life. No. That's so self-centered, it's mind-boggling. As if all God cares about you being good. No, he cares about you understanding light. Why? Because he knows this. With 7 billion people in this world, void still exists. And without light, that void will remain. Yeah, we hear this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. See, the people who wrote that song understood what they were writing. The people that sing the song don't get it. Light means your understanding of who God is. The knowledge that you have needs to be put into a void. Otherwise, take not this Holy Spirit from me. Oh, my goodness. Did I say that? Yeah, I did. Huh? The Holy Spirit prepares the way for God to bring us out of darkness. And I thank the Spirit that hovered over the darkness of creation that same spirit that helped me to believe in the darkness of my life that he was still there, still watching, still protecting. I thank God for that presence in my life, that light in my darkness. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you may not, like I said, may not break a plate, but I was deep in darkness. I didn't need a religion. I didn't need a doctrine. I needed something to get me out of my mess, to take me out of my hell. And none of that, also didn't work to work. I needed, I needed power. I needed something to pull me up. And it was the Spirit of God. The Spirit. The Spirit of your Father. Matthew 10, 20 reads like this. For it will not be speaking. Rather, it will not be you speaking. Matthew 10, 20. But the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Talking when Jesus was sending people out, he goes, look, don't worry about it. You're not going to speak, but the spirit of your father will speak through you. So Matthew 10, Jesus told his followers several important facts about the future. They will face harsh opposition. They'll be attacked. This opposition will also, will most often come from religious people, not the world. People, I'm, getting, I'm going through, you know, my boss, the heathen. The heathen has no, no, no power or authority over you. You have the anointing. The ones you got to worry about are the ones who say they, know, they love Jesus. Those are the ones you got to worry about. Hmm? Well, it's heavy stuff right there, and it's on recording. Can't take it back. Huh? Such persecution will bring the followers of Christ when you're going through it. Before governors and kings, he, he tells them, right? You, you'll go before people. Why? Because you will be persecuted. If you're living godly in Christ, you will be persecuted. Why? Because 
Oftentimes, especially in the United States, everybody's a Christian. But when you live godly in Christ and you put your Christianity next to some fake fraud and full-time fraud, that Christian is not going to like you because you're going to pull the covers. And you're going to suffer persecution. It's okay. Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You're, gonna, you're supposed to suffer persecution. In fact, I would say this. Without persecution, I dare say, you're not walking too godly. He didn't say, well, you might suffer persecution. You know, he, he said, those who want godly in Christ will. Will. Shall. The legal term has to happen. Christ ordained such things in order that his followers might have an opportunity to explain their faith publicly. It wasn't like, oops, what has this happened? No, this was done intentionally. He wants you to be in positions of persecution so that you can explain your faith publicly, huh, to shame the devil and give God glory. Yeah. Oh, now you're following, you're walking with the Holy Ghost. See, when that happens, believers should not fear, but trust the Holy Spirit to tell them what to say. He said, your fathers will speak through you. But if you're not in those positions and you, uh, to, to really share into darkness, under persecution, then why should the Father speak through you? So you have to put yourself in those positions. Well... Getting quiet here, man. What happened? See, we will speak in the darkness. I want you to come on, repeat that. We will speak into darkness. See, when you begin to speak into darkness, now you get God's attention. Whoa, you get the Holy Spirit's attention. Wait a minute. These people are for real. They're serious. You mean they actually go at 10 p.m. and pray and then go to the, the streets? Ooh, I don't want to send my kids to that church. <laughs> Coward. Because you, no, you have no confidence in who God is. As if God's going to let something happen. No, we're walking under the authority, under the anointing. I dare the devil to mess with your children. He, he can't. As long as you're walking under the anointing and authority, even if she were to grow up in a, in a crib, in a dresser drawer. She'll rise up, become used by God. Huh? My little baby girl lived in the streets. We didn't go to the streets without her. She was three, four, five, six, seven, ten, teenager, all the way up. She lived in the streets. So when she goes to the streets, she's just like, been here, done that. Right? That's just what we do. Why? Because I believe the word of God. You're, you're, you're supposed to train up your child in the way they should go. That doesn't mean you train up your child and be careful, don't cross the street, don't talk to strangers. No, no, no. Train them in the way they should go. It's strictly scripture. God will lead them. Just like if you allow them, God leading you, God will protect them. Just like God protects you, God. God will do it. Why don't we let the Holy Spirit do his job and let's do our job? Well... Huh? See, when I talk about speaking in the darkness, does that excite you? Huh? Or would most rather live a nice, quiet family life? 
So that's what some people want. Oh, no, I just want to live a nice, nice family, quiet life, you know, sit behind in front of the fire um, and get s'mores. Are you kidding me? That, that's not life. I mean, you can, that's maybe a, a trinket of life. But life is raising up your children uh, to be warriors for God. Life is raising, training up your children to understand the Holy Spirit. You, you have the ability to move in signs and wonders, speaking things into action. That's life. That other stuff is what? Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Bake me a cake. That's like, are you kidding me? But some people, that's what they want. Right? And they often call themselves believers. Okay. Those kind of people don't like this kind of preaching. I'm sorry. Can't help myself. Matthew 10.34 kind of explains my dilemma. Matthew 10.34, Jesus again speaking because he says, you guys got to go out there and preach, man. He says this. Are you ready? 10.34, verse 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Ah, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Is that heavy or what? Now, I'm not saying, don't get mad at me. I'm just reading it. Verse 37. Whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves a son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. See, the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can give you understanding. For the heart and the mind of man will reject every word I just read. Sometimes living with Christ brings us into direct opposition with people we never thought we'd be in direct opposition with. What would you say? Hmm? The, cool, the school principal calls us because our child attended a prayer meeting. Ever happened to you? When your boss tells you not to read your Bible at worst in the performance of an abortion, what would you say? See, these are things that are happening day in and day out. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, we have the world burning in fire, and people are complaining, are, are, are arguing about whether I'm a guy, a girl, or am I fluid? I'm, I got fluid gender. They got flu, gender fluid. I'm gender fluid. Today I'm a girl. Tomorrow I'm a guy. And then I'll t- and the next day I'll be like half and half. And people are talking about that stuff. And then Christians say, "Oh, you know, don't bother them. Shut up, bother them. You bother them." You tell them, you know, that's, that's ungodly, that's wrong. You don't let that just go, like, oh, it's acceptable. But what has happened, because the Holy Spirit is moving and leaving from different people, they don't want to stand up for what is right. Don't fall victim to this lie that because we're Christians, we shouldn't get involved in what's happening. Are you kidding me? It's because Christians didn't get involved, six million Jews were cremated. That, that's what happened. The pastors lay silent. Or evil reign. Are you going to let that happen? Uh, those people not following the Holy Spirit may just do that. See, being a Christian in an unbelieving world isn't going to win you a popularity contest. Let me say it again. Being a Christian in an unbelieving world isn't going to win you 
a popularity contest. But don't worry about it. In your moment of crisis, the Holy Spirit will show us what to say and what to do. Those who are faithful to Christ can rest in the confidence the Holy Spirit will be with them in their faith when their faith is under fire. Amen? See, if we're faithful to Christ, if we're faithful to Christ, sooner or later, trouble will find us. When I first got elected to the school board, I had a big old fight. Big fight. I guess most people never stood up. So I'm on the board, and they have director so-and-so. Director so-and-so. Then they have with uh, our, 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 some of the people, Dr. Gledich. Doctor, ooh, that's heavy. Doctor, that's nice. Well, I wanted reverend. And they said, oh, you can't do that. I said, excuse me? Why can't I do that? Well, because, you know, this is a school. And you, can, you have to have separation of church and state. I said, baloney. Are you, are you kidding me? First of all, this school didn't elect me. The people did. Secondly, I'm a reverend. And I work for that. I earned that. I earned that title even more than Dr. Gledich. And he, but take off his doctor and call him Mr. Gledich. He won't let you do that. And we fought. They were, the news came out. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I go, no. I am going to stand for what I believe because I'm a Christian and I'm going to pray in Christ's name. They had lawyers come in and talk to me, and I go, look, if you do this, I'm going to make a big old fuss. They finally backed off and said, okay, put reverend. Over a little thing like that. A little, it seemed little. Why? They just wanted to quiet the Christians. We cannot stay quiet when our faith is involved. You can't. You can't. But I thank God for sending his spirit to tell me what to say when trouble comes. And may I never be ashamed of Jesus. May I never be ashamed. And I, I always want to have the courage to speak up for him. Speak up. Because he's not here. He's at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit works through us. So the only voice on this earth that will speak up and defend the cause of Christ is your voice. And if they can shut you up, then there's no more, no more, no more to be said. The enemy wins. He's the breath of life. As I'm going to close with this, I think. Sometimes I say that, but I like to close. I close how many times? Like five or six times. Service. I just close all the time. Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Hebrew word ruah can be translated breath or spirit. The phrase breath of life therefore refers to more than simply the air that Adam breathes. It wasn't just oxygen. No, no, no. It was deeper than that. That breath of life is the animating life force that comes only from God's spirit. By itself, the body is simply dirt, mud, dust of the ground. A collection of chemical elements bound together through water and protein. No, no, no. When God gives the breath of life, uh, it's the breath of life, understanding who he is, submitting to his authorities, walking under his authority. Because you under the you're living the breath of life. Breath of life. Hmm? 
It is, the, it is what makes us. But life comes only from the in-breathing of God's spirit. Life. Because you could be a living being, but the breath of life is like saying this. It's not just the oxygen we breathe. If it was just the oxygen we breathe, then my dog at home, Bentley, he'd be anointed and filled with the Holy Ghost. Because he's breathing too. But let me tell you something. He's not anointed and he don't got the Holy Ghost. So it's more than that, right? So we're breathing. And that, just because you're breathing doesn't mean you have the breath of life. See, the breath of life is the animating force. What do you mean by animated? It's almost like the best way to, look to describe it is when you animate a cartoon. You, you draw it, and they have an idea, and they're drawing, and they make a cartoon. Also, it's called, what is it called? Animation. And you see the, the, the artist's mind played out as he does it, either on a computer, uh, doing it. And he's animating, he's creating something. It's from his mind. He's creating him. In the same way, God is animating who you are in the mind of heaven. In, in, the, in the database of, from the Holy of Holies, he's got an animation of who you should be, what you should be, how you should act, where you should go. And he's animating, and he's animating if you have his breath. If you're just doing your own thing, you're just alive. That's all you are. He's the animating force who makes you who you are. What a contrast to those who boast about their worldly achievements, money, fame, power. But those things do not last forever. All of it returns to dust eventually. Life True life comes only from God. The animating force, the breath of life. True, both on the physical and spiritual planes. So we owe our physical and spiritual life to the Spirit of God. But without the in-breathing of God's Spirit, in the, in the work of regeneration, we're not born again. That's where you get the term and the concept, born again. The Pharisees, the religious rulers said, how, how can I go back into my mother's womb? That doesn't happen. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that kind of, of being born. I'm talking about a rebirth, huh? a reanimation. Though you're alive, God wants to enter into your heart, and he wants to rebirth you. If he's rebirthed you, you should be different. Yeah. If you come to church and you have not changed, and you're still the same, are you rebirthed? Or are you just alive? See, God is not in the stay the same business. He's in the growth business. Precept upon precept, brick upon brick. And the more you walk with them, and there's different levels of understanding of Scripture. Some scholars, and I tend to agree, say there's five levels of learning on Scripture, meaning that you can read a Scripture, and to the little child, it means one thing. The one that's been around a little while means another. You ever get that feeling, go, I've read this before, but never seen that? Why? Because perhaps you went to another level now. And as you continue to sacrifice, pay a price, Face your opposition. Go through your storms as you continue and you keep trucking along and trucking along. The scripture means more. The scripture means more. Precept upon precept. But my friend, if you've never struggled for Jesus, if you've never faced a storm, my friend, you'll never grow. Thank God for the storm. Praise the Lord for your trial. James says what? Count it all joy. Why? Because those things test your faith. And it is the testing of your faith 
That is a requirement. Why? Because we have to know, and you have to know that what you have is real faith, not just a kind of religiosity or some kind of philosophy that you came up because you think you're smart. No, no, no. The testing of the faith wipes all that junk out of there. Why? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what, what some call faith is not really faith. It's their philosophy, their belief, but it's not faith. I, that's why when I see people going through trials, I pray for them, and the first thing that comes to my mouth is, good, wonderful. Hopefully they make it out of it, and they come to the next level, because if that is what's going to make them a man or a woman of God. That. Trial, wonderful. Going through it, great. It's not that I don't care. I do care. I understand completely. I understand it's needed. And I understand that God must be doing a work in your life. And I don't care how bad that child is. If he let it come to you, you can handle it. You can handle it. Because God is not cold-blooded. He's not going to give you anything you can't handle. Everything comes through the hand of God. Everything. Everything. Even if you act like a fool, did anybody act like a fool? Don't raise your hand. Even that came through the hand of God. Huh? God wants to make you better. Huh? So I thank God for giving me the breath of life as my piano prayer comes. I thank him for his gracious work, his, the work of his spirit in the beginning in my life through Christ. I thank him for that. For every trial, I tell people all the time, I thank God for being on my deathbed. I, I say like this, I had the privilege of being on my deathbed. I thank God for that. Because it was that privilege that refocused my mind, my understanding of who he is, who he really is, who the Holy Spirit truly is. Well, Genesis 6, 3, the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. This describes the evil days before the great flood. Instead of getting better, mankind had gone steadily downward. From the beauty of Eden to the gutter of open sin. The world was ripe for judgment. God saw evil covering the earth like a dirty blanket. Every thought from man was wicked, the Bible says. Every thought of man's heart was rotten and corrupt. Imagine living in a place like that. There are some places like that today. Not everywhere. Even in this desperate situation, God's spirit was not absent. He was striving and contending with mankind. He didn't instantly wipe them out. In fact, he gave him warning. That's when he called a man out by the name of Noah. and said, Noah, you're going to build an ark. It took him 120 years to build it. It took him a long time. And during this whole time, he's preaching. He's preaching, repent, repent. Nobody received it. Nobody wanted it. See, God always contends with men in their sin, in their darkness, in their wickedness. Always, always. 
a watchman, a warner. Hey, 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 hey. But you, you have to decide. Hmm? The warning is clear right here. God's spirit will not strive with man forever. Clear. Those who refuse his voice will eventually face God's judgment. Like I said earlier, in the days of Noah, God withheld judgment for 120 years. But the rains of judgment fell from heaven. A mighty flood ensued, blanketed the whole earth. Wiped man out, less one family. So no one knows when judgment will fall. And when I'm talking judgment, let me say this. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment. I'm, no one knows when your time will come. You, nobody knows. We know that the days are short. The signs of the time yell out that we're in the end times, that Jesus is coming soon. Wickedness is everywhere. Hatred is on the rise. But when sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Grace always abounds. Man. What we do know is those who reject God's mercy will face his wrath. As I speak now, I ask the Spirit of God to give listening ears to your voice speaking through me. May I never take you for granted. May your people in this church never take you for granted. Respond quickly. I learn, I hope that we respond and learn to respond quickly to your leading in our life. As the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, we're going to sing this song. The altars are open. <laughs>